Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. I'm Pamela Clark, founder and director of the New Heights Educational Group. And I'm here with David Smith, the founder of Silicon Valley High School, who has helped us get these podcasts produced and delivered to you. Yes, Pamela, when we saw the great things that you and your army of volunteers were achieving at New Heights, we wanted to get involved. We're happy to work with you to leverage the internet and make quality education accessible and affordable to everyone, everywhere. Thank you, David. We appreciate Silicon Valley High School helping us to get these podcasts out to the hundreds of thousands of listeners from all over the world. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to a new high show on education. Great to be back. My name is Kim Beekman, your host, and today we're going to be talking about unpending stereotypes about black students. Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group educational resources to help reach your goals. Now we're going to begin uh, for on our topic of the day, which is about stereotypes in education and how they can affect different mi- minority groups, more specifically um, African-American groups. And so this is an article taken from Leslie T. Fenwick um, from Education Weekly that talks about unpending black stereotypes in education and how it affects um, this specific minority in their pursuit of education. There's a troubling undercurrent in the national conversation about the black-white gap in student achievement. The mostly spoken, unspoken belief about black students is tied to broader perceptions about black people. So let's just say it. Some believe the gap is a function of weak family and community structures, male joblessness, drug use, and permissive cultural values, which they assert predominate in the black community. Others, however, believe that black, blacks constitute a community that is largely beyond intervention and that no amount of funding or special programs can fix what ails the perpetually troubled. An attendant assertion is that blacks who do achieve have outsmarted the stereotype vulnerability and are outliers. Some say these blacks are exceptions and are successful because they embrace and actualize the white cultural value, value system. These erroneous and insulting beliefs persist because they are buoyed by a constant recitation of negative statistics about blacks in research literature and unrelentingly circulated in these accounts. Such wrong-headed assertions negate, negate accurate and meaningful portrayals of black people. Mostly they misdirect formulation of educational and social policy and skew funding priorities in education and elsewhere. Regrettably, Americans have been socialized by scholarly and journalism communities that to accept that at face value negative data about blacks and then have been trained to be skeptical about any about be skeptical about and question any positive information about black people. This is so because little positive information of consequence about blacks is decimated. To understand what I mean, let's take a true or false test and see how we score. And this is just um, 
some different myths about African-American community and in the relation to the educational system. So first myth is black parents are not invested in their children's education and do not engage in school-affirming behaviors. This is false. The National Center for Education Statistics reported in 2008 that 94% of African-American parents said their children did so, did homework outside of school. The same percentage of parents reported getting setting aside special time times and places for their children to complete work and having an adult in the household to check it. This is the highest percentage of any subgroup of the U.S. parents engaged in critical school-affirming behavior. Myth number two, a much higher percentage of white parents than black parents attend PTA meetings and parent-teacher conferences. This is also false. Comparable percentages of black and white parents reported attending school meetings, according to the same 2008 NCES study. Specifically, 90% of white parents and 87% of black parents said they attended PTA meetings. 78% of white parents and 77% of black parents reported attending parent-teacher conferences. Black parents are satisfied with permissive academic and discipline standards in the schools their children attend. Also false, the NCES data show that fewer black parents than white parents report being very satisfied with the academic standards, order, and discipline in their children's schools. Myth number four, most urban and center cities teachers and principals are black. According to surveys of schools and staffing conducted by the NCES in 2003 to 2004, nearly 90% of urban school teachers were white, and almost 71% of center city school teachers were white. Additionally, in the same academic year, approximately 88% of urban school principals and 62% of center city school principals were white. Number five, white educators are more qualified than black educators. False. For decades, research has, has shown that African-American educators are the nation's most credentialed and experienced subgroup of educators. As the author wrote in, in Education Week in 2000, they are more likely than their white peers to hold a master's or doctoral degree in education and possess more years of experience as a classroom teacher when they ascend to principalship and more years as a principal when they ascend to superintendency. There are more black men in prison than in college. This is also false. In fact, Ivory Tolson, the Howard University School of Education, has conducted research that shows that there are more black men in college than in prison. His research indicated in 2009, 1.4 million black men attend college and 800,000 black men were in prison. Myth number seven, black kids use more alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs than white kids. And this is false. White 12th graders use more alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs than black 12th graders. According to reports from the National Institute for Drug Abuse and the Washington-based think tank education sector, use of alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs has consistently been found to be less prevalent among African-American high school seniors than their white peers. This finding is also true among African-American students in lower grades, according to a 2011 study published in the Archives of General Psychiatry. Number eight, most black men don't work, additionally false. Although unemployment rates are higher for black men than for white men, the U.S. Department of Labor reports as an employment to population ratio that 60% of black men and almost 70% of white men were employed 
in January of 2012. <clears throat> Number nine, more black people than white people attend church. This is also, this is actually one of the first true ones. According to a 2010 Gallup poll of Americans' church attendance, 55% of African Americans reported attending church weekly. That represented the highest percentage of any U.S. racial or ethnic group. However, I don't necessarily believe that this has much to do with education, but it is one of the myths um, involved in how people perceive African-Americans and their ability to achieve well in school. So now that we've talked about some of these myths and the truth behind them, uh, it's now time to talk about what educators, researchers, and policymakers can do to enhance enhance the way in which African-Americans are perceived in education instead of enforcing negative stereotypes. For principals and teachers, the worst images of black culture have been manufactured and placed in broad circulation. As an anecdote, as an anecdote, educators must find, consciously elevate, and celebrate the best of black culture in schools and classrooms. When schools put the best of black culture in broad circulation through serious and ubiquitous curricular content and instructional materials, black students experience identity restoration, and all students learn meaningful cultural appreciation. For researchers, the hallmark of science is replication, replication of what works. Yet too much of the research about the black community is a litany of negativity. Researchers can counter this litany by publishing empowering research. For instance, rather than adding to copious studies about black men in prison, why not examine the lives of black men who work and have intact families? The latter body of research is almost non-existent, not because these men don't exist, but because researchers have seen little value in examining their lives. With these types of studies, researchers will push beyond the veil of negative statistics and arrive at a more accurate and stereotype-shattering data. For policymakers, direct policy formulation and funding initiatives at empowering research and programs. For instance, historically, black colleges and universities make up just 3% of the nation's colleges and universities. Yet, HBCUs like Howard University, where the author serves as the dean, prepare the majority of black physicians, engineers, and other STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math PhDs and more than 50% of the nation's black teachers. These irreplaceable institutions should be viewed by policymakers as engines of innovation worthy of deeper investment by federal, state, and philanthropic agencies. Let us dump all the litany of negativity and see where more accurate and nuanced research and reporting about black students and adults takes the nation's schools and even the nation itself. Now that we've kind of talked about the issue of the representation of African Americans in education, we're going to talk about how this actually can serve to damage how minority groups do in school. Um, And so what we're going to be talking about, how stereotyping can affect minority learning. And this is an article by Haley and Cho um, from 2010, Negative stereotypes in classrooms or other learning environments can lower performance as well as the ability to learn and retain new information. 
And this is was found in a recent Stanford study. According to co-authors Valerie Taylor, PhD, and Gregory Walton, assistant psychology professor, the threat posed by stereotypes or stereotype threat has measurable impact on many students. It is stereotype threat. It it stereotype threat doesn't only affect how much they can learn. It will necessarily affect how well they will perform on a task with that material. Taylor said, if we could help them to improve these issues in learning, in the learning environment and pull down their barriers that may be aborting their ability to learn, then we can surely improve their performance over time. The study focused on African-American students affected by negative stereotypes and consisted of two separate experiments that tested students in threatening and non-threatening environments. An environment is threatening if it fosters the negative stereotype in any way. The first study asked groups of African-American and Caucasian students to study a novel or rare words in either a threatening situation or non-threatening situation. The students were called back around a week later to test how well they retained the information in a warm-up and a test. According to Walton, the stereotype threats lay in the instructions of the study sessions, warm-ups, and tests. This podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley High School, the world's fastest-growing, video-based, self-paced, teacher-supported, fully-accredited online school that's recommended by more than 96% of students. Take individual courses at just $95 each or earn your high school diploma at any age. Check us out at svhs.co. In the first set, in the first session, we randomly assigned whether the subjects were in the threat or non-threatening situation and told this task was about evaluating people's learning ability and how well they learn and acquire new academic material. This instruction makes it relevant to negative stereotypes. In the other condition, we talked about how people have different styles of learning and some people learn one way and some people a different way. Inserting Asserting this eliminates the threat of any stereotype from the situation. It's not evaluative. We're not evaluating people. According to Walton, the students that performed best in the later session were African-American students who had studied in the non-threatening condition on the warm-up. When stereotypes are off the table, both in the learning environment and the performing environment, black students did very well. And when black students had to do to both contend with the stereotypes when they learned the words and when they had to recall the words, they were the worst performing group overall. The second part of the experiment tested the solution to stereotype threat, self-affirmation, or asking students to write values that are important to them before taking a test. Taylor said that self-affirmation increased performance by nearly 40%. Taylor also explained that there are many other ways to lessen the effects of stereotype threat on the student citing having role models and be that belong to a stereotype group and promoting this mindset, the mindset that intelligence is malleable. Although the study focused mainly on African-American students, stereotype threat affects many different groups, according to Taylor. She cited women in the fields of math and science and minority groups as two other demographics that are exposed to stereotypes that negatively impact their performance. 
Both Taylor and Walton highlighted room for future research. Taylor said that finding other factors that cause underperformance and employing interventions in classrooms with younger students are things that she would like to pursue. Walton talked about applying solutions in the real world to see if these solutions will decrease the problems of stereotype threat. It is a relatively solvable problem, they said. Taylor emphasized that stereotype threat can be canceled out in a student's environment. She believes that it can be applied to actual school settings for students and that if applied properly, it could decrease the achievement gap that we see between different groups of students. So this is all very, um, I think, not necessarily common knowledge, but something that is talked a lot about in the educational world, um, which is mainly stemmed from the recognition of the achievement gap. And so I think that these articles do very well to highlight some reasons why the achievement gap may exist, uh, especially between minority groups versus non-minority groups. The first article talked mainly about the negative stereotypes surrounding uh, African Americans, but it doesn't really go on to talk about solutions for how to address these negative stereotypes, um, other than kind of educating principals, teachers, researchers, and policymakers, things that they can possibly do to get rid of these negative stereotypes. Um, but it doesn't really talk about why these negative stereotypes are important in the educational system, how they affect minority groups. And so, therefore, in the second article, we learned a lot more about how stereotyping can affect minority groups' performance and make them perform lower so that they actually adhere to the stereotype. And this is something that is uh, talked about a lot in psychology, and it applies not only to African-Americans, but also to women, as they mentioned, women typically, when faced with a stereotype threat situation, will perform worse on math and science exams versus in a non-threatening situation. They will typically perform the same as men or even better than men. And so this is why it's very important to recognize and to not necessarily place the seeming, um, seemingly underachievement of minority groups on these myths that we talked about before and advocate for more recognition of the actual causes of these this, this underachievement that is represented in minority groups more accurately so that way this underachievement can then become achievement through correcting stereotypes and stereotype threat and addressing the problems that minority groups face in education rather than just imposing more negative stereotypes, which just leads to more underperformance. <clears throat> we have a bit of a storm going on, and so my internet is cutting out quite a bit. So we might have to end the show a little bit early. However, I do thank you for listening to me, and have a great week. Um, next week's show will be announced later in the week, just to make sure that I'll be available for that show. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll see you next show. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings.
Imagine your new bathroom, a sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels. 